The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of Orn Resources, trading on the TSX as AUG and in the U.S. as GGCTF. Orn is focused on scalable high-grade gold deposits in established mining jurisdictions, which to date include the Committee Bay and Gibsons McCoy projects located in Nunavut, Canada, the Homestake Ridge project in British Columbia, and a portfolio of projects in southern Peru. Ivan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. If you don't mind, give us a background on the company. Orn Resources is a uh, Canadian gold exploration company that's assembled a world-class gold exploration portfolio between Canada and Peru. We did this in the downturn of the mining market, which we saw in the last four years. And we hired some of the best technical people in the world to go with a big portfolio that we built. These gentlemen are predominantly previously from Newmont, one of the largest gold producers in the world. And we've taken on approach with Orin to go and explore a majors portfolio in a junior with a majors exploration team. If you don't mind, give us a previous history of the company. In other words, how did it come about? Tell us about the group. So in 2005, myself and a partner, Sean Wallace, we founded a company called Keegan Resources, which was our first venture to go find a world-class gold mine. Sean and I were successful in doing that. We discovered uh, 5 million ounces of gold in Ghana from zero, acquired five more, which created a 10 million ounce company that's producing about a quarter million ounces a year right now. Caden was the next company that we created. So this is our third company. Caden was the same game plan that we had with Keegan, but quickly got into discovery in Mexico. And in the middle of the downturn, after about 100 drill holes, no official resource, we sold the company for $205 million to Agnico Eagle. If you own shares of Caden, you'd own shares of Agnico Eagle, which have doubled since that transaction today. So it was quite a remarkable feat in the middle of the bear market. And on the back of that success, we took some of the liquidity and the, and the money that was made and we assembled Orin. And that's where we had the capital and the ability to go acquire these projects, as well as these people in, in the bear market before we started to see a turn in the gold space. Now, you mentioned Agnico Eagle. You've got a relationship with another major. That company's called Gold Corp. It's very significant. Let's talk about that. Yeah, Gold Corp is uh, a recent investor. As of uh, January of this year, they bought about $36 million worth of Orin, which gave them about a 12.5% ownership interest in our company. They weren't the only major that was interested in what we were doing. And if you looked at what was happening in the turn of the market, a lot of corporates started to invest into Canadian juniors. Gold Corp's investment and the premium of the investment that came alongside us, coupled with their familiarity with the jurisdictions we're working in, was something that really gave us a comfort level of going on with a big partner to go and explore these major properties that we had acquired. I think the appeal in Orin for Gold Corp and some of the other majors that have been looking at us has been this pipeline of exploration projects. What I mean by that is we have seven projects. We have over 25 targets of things that could become world-class major discoveries. To be real simple, we have 25 shots at finding another Caden or another Keegan 
in one company. You know, some of these projects are very advanced that have low risk to find more and some are higher risk but have massive reward. We own everything. I think the appeal of high-grade gold in the Canadian projects and Oxide Gold and Peru is really what intrigued Gold Corp alongside our technical team. Speaking of exploration, you have a very aggressive 55,000 meter discovery drill program. This is a program I don't think it's ever been done before where people have drilled this much discovery drilling in a six-month period. What I mean by discovery drilling, when we go out there and explore for mines, a lot of the times you'll find a discovery and then you'll start to delineate that discovery. You'll start to put together a resource around it. But the most profitable hole that a company can drill as an investment is that first discovery hole. We're going to drill over 200 discovery holes in six months within that 55,000 meters to go find new gold mines. And imagining one hole could double or triple the share price, we're going to have 200 or more different shots at doing that with this discovery programs. A lot more has to go into it after you make a discovery to create a multi-billion dollar company or an asset. But that initial hole is where the biggest lift is being felt by investors. The fact that we're doing 55,000 meters of discovery drilling in a six month period is something that we've never seen before, not in my 18 years of the business. And how we're doing this is solely responsibly of the technical team. There's about 14 members. They're all different experts of different aspects of geology. They predominantly come from majors and they all have their own background but when they take apart a target the intensity of science that they apply it's like nothing I've ever seen before it's really a a militant program because these guys are so disciplined and they work around the clock to bring these targets and the possibility of finding these gold deposits to the most efficient and and the shortest timeline possible Let's talk about the management team and the management style because I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking, how do you possibly manage all that? It's our third company, so it's our biggest one by an undertaking of projects and people at the same time. And I think that the successes we've had in the past, they've been defined by our anti-dilutive style. We usually don't have too many shares out. The quality of shareholders, we have some of the best shareholders in the world that follow our success. That both coupled gives us the ability to finance. If you have a very strong ability to finance, and monetize your successes as we've done twice before. It's very appealing towards people to work with an organization that is going to be stable financially. It's going to be able to go explore these big projects and go for the big discoveries of these gold deposits. I think that the one common thing you would find across any of our our management team is the tenacity that exists and the work ethic. Those two things are really what separates us from a lot of other companies. We will work harder in bear markets if necessary. We are very share price cognizant and performance cognizant because that's what allows us to finance and go and do these things. Because we have a very good balance of corporate, technical, and financial people on the team, I think that balance is very welcomed by everybody on the organization that each department will be looked after properly. What can our listeners look forward to possibly hearing about during the next 12 months? I think your listeners can look forward to hearing about some of the largest gold discoveries in the world that'll be done this year. I say that by nature of the targets. They certainly have the expression, either on surface or through the science, that there could be some of the biggest discoveries in the world. You know, the team has a history of making those kind of discoveries and their previous companies that they've worked with. So that's what we're going for. And that doesn't stop. You know, the drill starts turning on June 10th and it doesn't stop turning until somebody else is turning it for us. You mentioned share price. Let's quickly talk about the share structure. We have uh, 76 million shares out. We have about $35 million cash in the treasury. Current price is around 340, 330 Canadian per share. A management owns 
18.5%. A large portion of that was bought on the open market. Gold Corp owns 12.5%. And then institutions own 15% at this time. You know, a large portion of the balance is owned by some of the best gold retail investors that we've come across in the last 20 years. This gives us the ability in the event that we do have a success, there's a lot less people to convince of how good a discovery is. And that relatively relates directly to the volatility of a share price towards the upside if we do get into one of these big discoveries that I'm alluding to as a possibility. Well, it's a very, very nice possibility. Ivan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I look forward to news as it comes out during the course of the next few months. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. I've been speaking with Ivan Bebek, the Executive Chairman of Oren Resources, trading on the TSX as AUG and the U.S. as GGCTF. Find the company logo and click through on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Next on the program, I'll speak with Gino Deanna, the Executive Director of Metals Tech. Metals Tech trades on the Australian ASX under the symbol MTC. They have lithium assets in Quebec and Cobalt in Ontario, Canada. Metals Tech is resourcing the lithium-ion battery revolution. Gino, welcome to the program. If you don't mind, please give our listeners an overview of the company. What is Metals Tech? So Metals Tech listed on the Australian Stock Exchange under the ticker code MTC. We listed on the 24th of February this year. Our primary focus is uh, hard rock lithium hosted spodumene pegmatites. We have projects located in Quebec and we also have a cobalt project located in Ontario. We uh, successfully raised $4.3 million during our IPO and we've been aggressively exploring our CanSet lithium project which is risen to the top in terms of being our flagship property. We also have properties located adjacent to and contiguous with Namaska Lithium which owns the Wabuchi Spodumene mine. is going into production later this year. Interestingly, we also have ground which is contiguous with and surrounded by galaxy resources in the James Bay region. We feel that we've put together a very good portfolio of hard rock lithium projects in a very safe operating jurisdiction and what drove us to invest in Quebec was the abundant infrastructure, the very supportive government regime and the very support of local and First Nations communities as well. Speaking of abundance, let's talk about your recent news in the Canset area in Quebec. At Canset, we've executed upon our first half of the two-phase drilling campaign. We drilled 38 holes. We got some very interesting intersections, mineralization starting from surface and incredibly high grade. We've had high grade hits previously at the property, but they were, I suppose you could say, restricted to the outcrops that we could actually map visually on surface. So going into a drill campaign and actually hitting those high grade intervals at depth has been uh, incredibly uh, encouraging for the company. Some of the intervals that we've encountered at Canset are 18 metres at nearly 4% lithium starting from surface. We've also got hits of 12% at about 3.5% lithium again starting from surface. And we're waiting for a significant number of assay results to come through from the current drill campaign. So news flow is going to be very progressive over the course of the next couple of months. And it really is shaping up to be what we believe is going to be a very high grade, very shallow, broad deposit of very high grade lithium. We're very excited by the work we've done at Canset. High grade and shallow deposit and of course hard rock. Let's talk about the significance of that. And then if you can touch on the uh, battery manufacturers in the area that may be potential offtake sources. For us, it was a natural decision to go into hard rock lithium exploration. As a junior company, we couldn't really understand the feasibility nature of being able to take a brine project from inception all the way through to commissioning and production. So for us, 
we view the hard rock lithium space as being that which is going to be the next source of supply to the lithium ion battery revolution. We also feel that the hard rock miners are those that are most exposed to technology uplift as well and we took an early view in terms of being able to align ourselves with a technology partner that has got a proven capacity in the space but we're also looking at and we've also conducted our own metallurgical testing to actually do the ore profiling and understand the ore mineralogy it can set which has actually been a fantastic exercise and we've clearly learnt a lot about the deposit even at this early stage and we are actually very aggressively moving forward with that particularly with respect to the fact that we've already been able to demonstrate that we can produce a 6.24% lithium spodumene concentrate from our property under very favourable circumstances. And you also mentioned your proximity to Namaska. So we were fairly early movers in terms of being able to control and, and acquire that property. Prior to other companies getting involved, when we actually came on, on the scene, Namaska had a market cap of about $100 million. Today, their market capitalization is circa $500 million. So it gives you an idea of the gravity with, within which that, that area alone has actually taken some some more attention from the global marketplace and the and the investor suite. Namaska has hidden some very high strides in terms of their own project and they've been able to obviously obtain their federal and provincial permits. Their resource is continuing to grow. It's a very good grade of deposit as well. What's the most important aspect for us is that they're looking to go into production under a concentrated plant towards the end of this year. For us, that's quite a phenomenal feat. We believe that we can actually take advantage of the upside that they've actually been able to demonstrate to the market insofar as we may be able to look at aligning ourselves with them and potentially look at a toll treatment operation as a short-term interim step. What could that mean potentially if that were to happen per se? For metals tech, something like that would actually enable us to go into production a lot sooner. That's a very important aspect for our shareholder base as well. I mean, a lot of our shareholders are very much production-focused individuals, so they would like to see metals tech in production as soon as possible. Why we like it is obviously the the strategic nature of having Namaska as our next-door neighbour is obviously a big advantage for us in terms of being able to have another opportunity of production much sooner but also the fact that we've got as I've said a very high grade shallow deposit at Kanset which is about 200 kilometres north of Namaska we've got an opportunity by which we could actually look at doing a very short term treatment operation with them that would give us the capacity to sort of start to get some additional funding into the company and then we could also look at our own downstream operations as well so it really is an important step for the company if we can forge a relationship with Namaska and enter into some sort of an arrangement such as that. You've got cobalt in Ontario. Let's discuss that project. The project in Ontario is known as the Bay Lake property. It's very close to the town site of cobalt. That area for us is very interesting because it has been historically mined for high-grade silver deposits and has also been looked at quite favourably for its cobalt mineralisation. The area has seen a lot more attention in the recent years. You've got a number of companies there that are still producing, albeit on small volumes, and not really focusing on cobalt, although the mineralisation in that area is known to to be incredibly high grade. The recent market movements with respect to the cobalt commodity itself has really shown the light on looking at jurisdictions which are safe operating environments. For us, Ontario was really a standout given the high grade nature of the vein mineralization out there. By way of an example, at Bay Lake, we've got hits of up to 15.36% cobalt. We also just executed upon and acquired a, a second project as an extension to the Bay Lake area and surface sampling of what we term as a dump or a stockpile on surface uh, has returned assay results of 2.14%. It's a very high-grade cobalt mineralisation. We're looking to get on site there in Bay Lake in the next two weeks. We're just going through the process of holding our open house community consultation programs. That should see us on the ground middle of 
this month will be out there for a period of two to three weeks. The idea behind the campaign out there is really to look at doing some additional mapping, prospecting and sampling of these high-grade veins, looking at rehabilitating some of the old exploration shafts as well and gaining access to those because that's where typically we see most of our exploration upside, especially being able to gain access to the rehabilitated exploration shafts. We see a distinct advantage over other operators in the region or in albeit in, in other regions also that we could potentially be in production a lot sooner given that we've got access to those high-grade mineralized veins without having to worry about the upfront capital cost of drifting a shaft. That sounds very, very exciting. Our listeners probably want to know, although I think they can tell just by listening to you, they'd love to have some background on the management team. The company was co-founded by myself and my fellow director, Russell Moran. So Russell Moran is uh, executive chairman of the company whilst I'm the executive director. Our background is natural resources in the commodity, obviously in the exploration space. We've spent the last seven years operating in Canada on, on the West Coast in British Columbia on coal projects. We still have our own coal properties in the same region as well. We have a natural advantage over most other operators, particularly coming out of Australia, that we already understand and, and know the landscape of Canada. My background is corporate advisory, equity capital markets, whilst Russell's is more strategic advisory and mergers and acquisitions. So together we have a very sort of dominant skill set, which we believe sets us apart from our competitors in that we're always looking at the exit strategy. We're always looking at how we can monetize our investments, monetize our assets. The company is structured in such that we've got an environmental permitting manager that sits on our board as well, and we have legal representation also. So at one point, I imagine once you prove up the resources both in Quebec with lithium and cobalt in Ontario, you are your own project generator more or less. There will be some sort of takeout strategy. You're an explorer and developer, correct? That's exactly right, Ellis. So we like to always take a strategy on that. We will always move our projects in a manner that we can take them into production. But alternatively, we'll always look at creating competitive tension for the company's assets as well. And what I mean when I say that is always looking to prove the economics of the deposits as quickly as possible, prove the mine life of those properties and demonstrate to others that are looking to make an acquisition in this particular space, be it lithium or be it cobalt, and whether they're a strategic investor, a financial investor or an end user, we always like to make sure that our projects are differentiated from most. That's the reason primarily why we've taken such an aggressive stance on cancer in particular in Quebec. And as I mentioned before, we've done 40 drill holes. We've only reported on 25 of them to date. We're still waiting for the results of the other remaining holes. Our assay results are coming through from the laboratory very quickly. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, we've also undertaken surface ore mineralogy and profiling. That work has been conducted through NAGRAM, which is a very well industry recognised laboratory in Australia. And our consultants, Primera and Trinol, they actually handle the mineralogy and the metallurgical profiling for Tawana, Galaxy Resources, Pilbara Minerals, and a number of other major companies that operate in Australia and, and abroad as well. So we like to think that we've picked our consultants to make sure that we always have uh, the greatest degree of due diligence in terms of the company's assets and to make sure that an end user looks at the structure of the company and the consultants involved in the company's progress and feels immediately comfortable. I'd like to talk a little bit about the metallurgical results as well because they are incredibly important to the company's strategy going forward and I'll have to caution it with saying that we're also undergoing representative sampling from Dual The metallurgical profiling and the results that we took on the outcrop sample at Canset have given us incredibly encouraging results. What we've been able to demonstrate is that we can crush our ore down to a 10 millimeter crush, which is a very coarse grained crush. And then we can actually use a very simple dense media separation and gravity system to actually liberate the lithium from the spodumene rock. What we've also been able to demonstrate is that 13% of the mass feed that goes to the DMS plant 
actually contains 80% of the lithium. So that means that 80% of the product or of the raw rock that you're sending to the feed plant can actually get sent straight to a, a waste rock stockpile. So we're actually having to treat lower amounts of rock to get 80% of our lithium out of it. So that's an incredibly good result because it demonstrates that A, we can go forward in a very simple processing operation, which is a DMS plant, and B, our operating costs will be significantly lower than our competitors because we're sending a substantially lower amount of feed through the plant as well. What it also means is because we're only employing a very simple dense media separation and gravity flotation plant is that our capex should also be considerably lower than our key competitors. The result of our mineralogy study have also documented that we can actually produce a 6.24% lithium concentrate, spodumene concentrate, which is directly applicable and can be fed into a lithium hydroxide market. The fact also that we can produce it with a very coarse grain size means that it's actually favoured by a lot of the end user groups and a lot of those groups that actually will be able to beneficiate and produce their own lithium chemicals from a spodumene concentrate. So we believe that Metaltech and indeed the CANSET project is very much at an advantage to competitors in the landscape and this is one of the reasons why we're so excited by what we've actually been able to demonstrate through our drilling at the property as well. As I said it during the segment, we're also moving quite aggressively into the second stage of our metallurgical test work as well. And what we're doing in this next stage of pro of the program is that we're looking to take split drill core from our diamond drilling at Canset and run that through essentially the same set of studies that we've been able to run the outcrop sample on. Those results are due out in the next sort of six to eight weeks. So we are going to be very excited by receipt of those results. And it's going to be those results that actually underpin the company's next stage of development. And in terms of us actually taking on more formal discussions with strategic investors and user groups, be it in North America and be it in China as well. What does this mean potentially for current shareholders and future shareholders? There's substantial upside is in the company's exploration on the projects themselves. I mean, as I said, we're undertaking a field program at Bay Lake. We're also undertaking taking a field program at Canset. And the idea behind the field program in both cases is to continue to delineate and start to quantify some of the potential resources that are in place. We are looking to deliver a maiden resource at Canset in the next three months and a scoping study at Canset within the next six months. That'll start to put some of the project economics around the property as well. That's really important for shareholders, both on the existing register and, and those shareholders that are thinking about investing into the company, because you can immediately see that the company will start to transform from an ex explorer into a near-term developer and producer. That's going to be an incredibly important milestone for our investor group as well, in terms of the fact that they'll be able to see an appreciation of the share price, given that the company is, is working through the exploration stage, and in tandem with that, we're working through very aggressively on the metallurgical test work side as well. That area alone in terms of the work programs that we're going to be undertaking is what's going to take the company through to the next stage of discussions with end users and strategic offtake partners. That again is going to be very important for our investment community and our shareholders because again, if the company is able to strike an agreement with a potential North American or potential Chinese offtake party or a strategic investor, that's going to demonstrate the true value for the company and the, the true value for the project. And that'll start to provide basis for the company really going into production in the next 18 months, two years, once the permits are all in place, but also 
it'll start to create competitive tension for the company as well. If I can just leave your users with some parting words, I mean, I'd advocate all the users to go onto the Metalstech website, download the announcements, have a read through for themselves. They'll obviously get a lot more information from the news releases. Our contact details are obviously on the bottom of those releases as well. So if any of your listeners have any questions or they want to take a further discussion, I'm always available and we're always happy to, to have those conversations as well. Thank you, Gino, for joining us today on the program. My pleasure, Ellis. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Gino Diana, the Executive Director of Metalstech, trading as MTC on Australia's ASX. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Michael Sweatman, President and CEO of Eureka Resources Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EUK and in the U.S. as ERKAF. Eureka Resources is an exploration stage company in the business of the acquisition, exploration, and evaluation of gold properties located in the province of British Columbia and in the Yukon Territory of Canada, as well as lithium in the state of Nevada. Mike, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back. Things are going well. Like, you know, the company's moving ahead and we're pretty excited about what's been going on. We just finished a three-hole drilling program in our Caribou Gold Creek property. We drilled three holes over about 400 meters. Results from the assay labs will probably be ready in 15 to 20 days from today. It's really quite exciting. I spent some time in Likely, BC, which is off the beaten track a little bit, but a great little town. And it's got a real history of gold in the area. Uh, The huge hydraulic mines in 1935 to 45, a place called the Bullion Pit and the Drop Pit, where they basically hydraulic the sides of mountains to get a lot of gold out of the alluvial gravels and stuff that are fed. And really what we're kind of looking for is maybe where the source of this kind of gold had come from and uh, you know there's gold everywhere in the area they're placer mining the till up on the hillsides not even at the creek bottoms and there looks like some of the guys might be making some money out of it so it's quite exciting the gold creek deposit is it's a trend that runs through the caribou there's a number of properties along that trend including our fg property which is located to the southeast of gold creek and in between us at gold creek and fraser gold or fg is the spanish mountain deposit which they recently filed a preliminary economic assessment and as you move to the northwest you run into Barkerville it's a well-known belt lots of mineralization lots of different mineral styles the most common which we're looking at are orogenic deposits at FG and at Gold Creek so it's all been really really exciting tell me about these geophysics studies that you conduct well back in last year shortly after we took over the company we went through boxes and boxes of data old reports The FG property has been around since discovered in 1981. So there was lots of information and we stumbled on a geophysical survey which was conducted in 2007-2008 by Hawthorne. That survey had never been analyzed. It was 1,100 line kilometers of EM and mag data that no one had ever really looked at. So I got uh, SJ Geophysics from uh, North Delta involved and, and SIDS boys took a look at the data and they identified a geophysical feature that identified perfectly aligned with the main zone which has already been drilled off and to the northwest they've always been looking for the extension it turns out that it looks as if there's been some faulting and downslope from the main zone to the northwest the zone seems to continue downslope when we uh, optioned the property to Canark last year they intend to continue the search to the northwest 
but using the geophysical data as a guide for doing that. So we're really excited. They're planning on spending about half a million dollars on the property this summer. They'll be starting work sometime early August, we expect. You know, we're hoping for great things for them. They've got lots of money, and had we gone after this drilling, it would have probably diluted our existing shareholders. So we're happy to have a partner with the technical strength and the resources to carry out this extensive program. So we're really excited about that. They, they tend to want to produce, don't they? Yeah, well, I think so. I mean, Brad Cook has had some pretty good success with Endeavor Silver and with Canark, and Canark has got very ambitious programs going on. So we're hoping that they get really ambitious on, on our property. So very exciting. Now, let's talk about one of my other favorite places, the Yukon and Yukon Gold. Well, Yukon's one of my favorite places. Uh, I met my wife in the Yukon, as a matter of fact. But yeah, we've got five different pieces of property in the Yukon. One group of four different non-contiguous claim blocks, which we call the Luxor property. The claims had names that sounded a little bit Egyptian, so we decided to call it the Luxor project. We have another project to the south, just off the Yukon River on the other opposite side of the river from the uh, Kamenak deposit. So we've got four properties. We've just completed about a thousand line kilometers of EM and MAG on that property. We haven't done the analysis of it yet, but we're excited to get the analysis and then we can do some more follow-up work on the ground later on this summer. So we've got that plan. We've also been fortunate enough to get Yukon Mining Exploration Program YMAP grants totaling $80,000 which will help to get us a little further along in our exploration. So very excited about that. Well, you're certainly a very good company with Strategic Metals, uh, Pacific Ridge, uh, Klondike, and one of our other sponsors, Western Copper and Gold. They've got a very sizable position over there. You know, the Dawson Range, I mean, the belt is really divided into three kind of zones. There's the, the Dawson Range, of which Casino and Western Copper and Gold is. You've got the White Gold District, which is where the White River joins in with the Yukon River. And then to the north of that is really where the Klondike Gold Fields were and the big gold rush. So it's part of our sort of corporate philosophy is to go after exploration in areas where gold has already been found before and certainly in the caribou and in even more so in the Klondike. I mean the biggest gold rush ever. Dawson City at one time was the largest city west of the Mississippi in North America. I mean it's hard to believe that in the 1890s that occurred and I guess the winter population of Dawson is now around 600 but certainly it was exciting in those days and I think it's just as exciting today with all the majors have moved in. Agnico, Kinross, Goldcorp, they're all there and recent purchases by Newmont in the Yukon as well. So the majors are there. They're there for a reason. They think there's gold there. It's interesting and I didn't know this until one of the prospectors up there in Dawson pointed this out to me but evidently our our president in the U.S. uh, Trump, his grandfather, began his fortune in the Yukon. Well he certainly did. He ran some hotels that were used for perhaps nefarious purposes in the Yukon and in Atlin, B.C. which of course is another prominent gold area already in the north northern end of British Columbia, southern end of the Yukon. Atlan was a gold rush which occurred in and around the same time as the Klondike gold rush because most of the gold rushers rushed past Atlan on the way to the Klondike gold fields. But why did they ever give up up there in the Yukon and in BC? Well, I think that the low-hanging fruit got harvested and gold in those days was $16 an ounce. Uh, certainly, it's a big difference today with gold at 1300 almost an ounce. It changes the economics significantly, but you know, if you watch some of the 
television programming and reality TV, you'll see people are restarting old dredges and mining old areas that have been mined before. They left a lot behind in those days. One of the good things about a public company is our listeners and investors don't necessarily have to go to the Yukon, although I highly recommend it to be a part of the deal. They can actually, if they want to, it's their choice. They can buy shares in this company. And there's a real opportunity at $0.08. Cents. At $0.08, cents, the market cap of the company is just over $3 million. We have a million ounce deposit at FG. That alone is a significantly valued asset. As the price of gold goes up, low grade and waste becomes ore and becomes economic. These are the kinds of things that if we find new deposits, if the price goes up, it's a game changer and everyone's talking about higher prices for gold. Well, you know, I'm not going to go on record as saying anything about the price of gold by the end of the year. I, I tend not to do that. But Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining has certainly predicted a $2,000 gold price by the end of the year. All of us in the industry would love to see that. And it's not like you have 100, 200, 300 million shares outstanding. No, well, we've got 44 million shares outstanding at $0.08. Cents. Like I said, the market cap of the company is just over $3 million. We think that if we can be successful, we can add tremendous value. But wait, there's more. There's a lot of talk about energy and lithium and electric cars, the Tesla storage wall. Let's talk about your project in Nevada. Well, we have a project. It's located about 40 miles to the southwest of the Clayton Valley in another valley called the Lida Valley in Nevada in Esmeralda County. The project is located over top of a identified gravity low, which indicates there may be a basin there, which maybe there was a potential that lithium could have accumulated in that basin. We've tested it through geophysics. It indicates that there may be some brines located there, or certainly there's conductive layers located about 200 meters down. So the only way we can test to see if there are brines with lithium is to drill the property. And that's certainly something that we're looking at doing later on this year. It's been a busy time in Nevada. There's lots of people drilling and getting a hold of drills has been part of the reason for our delay. We're happy to wait for the right driller because the holes are expensive and if you don't do it right, you get nothing out of it. So where do you see the company in a year or two? That's a really good question. I think what we want to do is to eliminate those properties that are not economic or don't have potential. And if we eliminate properties, we're always looking to acquire more property that's prospective for gold. I mean, that's really what the company's about. We're focused on gold. We're hoping that we find something on our existing properties, but we're not falling in love with any property. If it doesn't have potential, we'll get rid of it, drop it, and move on to more properties. There's lots of things available, maybe not so much in the Klondike anymore because there's so many people searching for ground there, but we will go after it based on science and based on potential. Well, Mike, it's a pleasure to speak with you here in Vancouver. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, always good to talk to you, Ellis. I've been speaking with Michael Sweatman, President and CEO of Eureka Resources Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EUK and in the U.S. as ERKAF. Forward-looking statements may have been made. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Who are the small companies with big opportunities? Find an assortment of potential investment opportunities. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. I sat down recently with Paul West Sells, President and CEO of Western Copper and Gold, trading as WRN on the New York Stock Exchange and WRN on the TSX. 
Western Copper and Gold is solely focused on developing the world-class casino project located in the politically stable Yukon Territory. Currently in the permitting phase, Casino is poised to be the premier copper gold mine in Canada and the flagship mine for the Yukon. Western Copper and Gold, through its wholly owned subsidiary, Casino Mining Corporation, is committed to developing the casino mine in a manner that provides economic opportunity for all involved while maintaining the highest levels of social and environmental practices. Paul, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. If you don't mind, give our audience an overview of the company. Western Copper and Gold, it's a very simple company. We have one asset, which is the very large Casino Copper Gold project located up in the Yukon. That project contains 18 million ounces of gold, 10 billion pounds of copper in the overall resource, which makes it actually, in terms of total contained metal, bigger than Donlin Creek, which is the big Nova Gold project. And we've been developing it for 10 years, and we're just continuing to develop it. I understand Goldman Sachs has rated you the number one copper project in the world. Yeah, we were very happy. Last summer, Goldman Sachs came out with, it was called their Copper 85 report. And what they did is they said, over the next decade, what are the 85 copper projects that are sufficiently advanced that they could come online in the next 10 years. And they did a bunch of analysis, but one of the ways in which they ranked them was by how good the economics of the project were. We were number one on that list. And that includes projects from majors, from junior mining companies, senior mining companies, all the way through. So on the back of that, we actually had, well, our largest institutional shareholder now, they saw that report and started buying. And so, you know, I I met them after and they said, well, we saw this report. We believe in copper. Pretty simple to do the math and uh, started to invest in the company. Now, you mentioned that you're going to continue to develop the asset. What does that mean exactly? What we've done since we've got the asset, we got it in 2006 and we acquired it from Lumina Resources. Maybe some of your listeners, that might be a common name. Lumina is is sort of a a storied name. Uh, Ross Beattie uses it. I think there's a Lumina Gold now, but this again is a Ross Beattie project, a copper project that we've been developing. So we got it in 2006. We drilled it out. We did a full bankable feasibility study. And right now we're about halfway through permitting. Really what's interesting is what's been happening up in the Yukon. And what's been happening up in the Yukon is that over the past year, and it started actually almost exactly one year ago. So in mid-May 2016, Gold Corp acquired the Kamenak company for the coffee deposit for around $500 million. And that was May of 2016. Since that time, there has been another, I think, six or seven at least investments. And you had Gold Corp making an additional investment. You had Newmont making an additional investment. You had Barrick. You had Kinross. You had Coor Mining. You had every Agnico Eagle. You had essentially all of the major gold companies pile into the Yukon and make investments. Not only did they make investments in the Yukon, but they made investments right in our neighborhood. So we have our project and the claims associated with our project. Touching our claims to the west is the Gold Corp Kamenak acquisition. Touching our claims to the east is a Kinross Nico Eagle exploration play called the White Gold Company. And so it's been an incredibly exciting place to be in the Yukon and ourselves having a large advanced project sort of sitting right in the middle of all of this activity. Well, you can imagine that I'm getting lots of phone calls on what's going on with that. So, Well, I've got to ask the question, do you consider yourself a potential takeout candidate or will you take this 
project into production someday. I mean, we've always been very, very clear. I mean, this is a large project and we're a junior mining company and we feel very blessed to have an asset like this. But we've always said that we were going to either partner or eventually sell the project. When you look at that, you sort of say, well, when do you sell these projects? When do you look to partner them? It's one of those you strike when the iron is hot. I mean, over the past four or five years, it's been a pretty cold market. Obviously, as I've just explained about what's happening up in the Yukon, it's pretty hot right now. So it is one of the things that we're looking into. So that represents, in terms of triggers for the shareholder, that's a really short-term win. So something can happen there over the next sort of few months. We bring in a partner, we sell the asset. You never know if these things happen or not, but that could represent a really nice short-term win for the shareholders. On a medium term, one of the things we're looking at doing is updating our feasibility study. So we're very happy that we have a full bankable feasibility study. We finished that in 2013. There's not a lot of changes, but there's a few changes that we have. There's a few things that we want to incorporate. We think we can make it even better. That's about a year away. So that represents a medium-term real gain for the shareholders. And then the long-term game would be getting it fully permitted, which is about three years away. You can certainly afford to wait, can't you? You can afford to wait, meaning that we have enough money in the bank to wait. But one of the things that we do and one of the things we're very proud of is creating value for our shareholders. And also the flip side of that is not destroying value for our shareholders. The last time that we raised money, last time we issued shares and and raised equity was 2010 at $2.50 a share. So we have been very, very careful with money since that time. We still have started this year with $7 million and that's easily enough for what we want to do this year and into next year. We can be patient. We can sort of move this thing forward in a prudent way. Now, certainly the price of copper has uh, helped the share price in recent months, hasn't it? Absolutely. And I tell people, look, if you don't believe in the long-term price of copper, don't buy shares of Western Copper and Gold. We're incredibly leveraged to the price of copper and gold and also the area play that we're starting to see up in the Yukon, but particularly on copper. If you look at copper, copper went up. People called it the Trump bump back in October, but there was a couple of things that happened in October and November that raised copper from $2, which had been sitting at for years, up to $2.50. When that happened, our shares almost doubled. It was a significant increase in our share price because people look around and they say, where are the good copper projects? And like I said earlier, you open up a Goldman Sachs report and there we are number one on that list. It's a pretty easy investment thesis. So we're incredibly leveraged to copper and I'm a big copper bull and it's very easy to be a copper bull in this market because all you have to say is no one has been building copper mines for the past five years. We've been in a downturn. Makes sense. Now we're in a shortage of supply. We're going into a shortage of supply. That's why copper moved from $2 to $2.50. We're going to see this sort of continue over the next, I think, 12 months. We're going to see copper move from $2.50 up to 3 and then eventually we'll be at $3.54. Copper needs to be $3.50 to 4 in order for any significant additional copper mines to be built. Now we're actually sitting in a very good position because we don't need that. At 250 copper, our project has a 22% IRR and a 2 billion net present value. So we don't need that. So we're gonna be one of the first copper mines out of the gate because we don't need really high copper prices. But for all the rest of them, we need $354 copper. In addition to a very strong project, which you seem to have, management is really, really important. Give us some background on the management team, if you don't mind. 
Sure. First of all, the entire senior management team has been with the company really since inception. And we're led by executive chairman Dale Corman. And, and Dale has been in the industry his whole life and, and has, has run a number of junior mining companies. But really, perhaps the most important one was Western Silver. And Western Silver had the Penasquito deposit, did exactly what we're doing here with Western Copper. Took that asset, drilled it out, did the engineering, did the permitting, sold that to Glamis for $1.6 billion. That actually triggered Glamis being taken over by Goldcorp. And now Goldcorp built that mine, and it represents a significant portion of the net asset value of Goldcorp. So that was Western Silver. That was sold 2006. We spun out of that, and that's when we acquired the Lumina Resources from Ross Beatty. And if you look at what we're trying to do here now, we're just trying to do it all over again. Now, you're a Canadian company, but you do trade on the New York Stock Exchange. We've been trading on, on the New York Stock Exchange since 2011. It's been very interesting. I mean, if you look at our shareholder base, initially it was mostly Canadian with a little bit of European, a little bit of American. At this point in time, most of our trading and a lot of our shareholders are in the United States. And again, I think this is a a project that resonates well in in the United States. It's in North America. It's in Canada. It's in Canada's north. Something everybody can understand. It's a large amount of copper. It's a large amount of gold located in a very, very stable jurisdiction. And stable jurisdictions are more and more important. We trade on the New York NYC market under the ticker WRN, and we certainly have been down in the U.S. a lot, and we understand that it makes a big difference to have that being traded on the, on the NYC market. It makes it easier for people to buy. How are you capitalized? In Canada, we're trading about a dollar fifty, so we got a market cap of about a hundred and fifty million. That's a big move since about a year and a half ago when we were trading about thirty cents. And again, that's been moved on the price of gold going up and most importantly, the price of copper going up. As copper continues to go up, we're going to see that go up significantly. We have a long range. We certainly have a long way to move. If you look at our peak, we traded at $4 a share back in 2011. Now, we haven't really covered gold, which is part of your <laughs> the name of your company. Let's talk about that. You know, we're, we're Western Copper and Gold. And if you look at the asset and the predicted revenue, you get half of the revenue from copper and half the revenue from gold. So the advantage of that is that when I'm talking to potential partners and potential acquirers, I've got both the copper companies and the gold companies that I can talk to about that. In terms of the overall resource, 18 million ounces of gold and over 50 million ounces of gold equivalent when you bring in the copper and other metals is a significant size gold asset to any gold company. So this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest project in the Yukon right now. Absolutely. This is by far the biggest project in the Yukon. We've been working very, very carefully. I mean, big projects obviously get a lot of attention, but one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is we've done significant inroads into the community, into the Yukon government, into the First Nation governments. We have agreements with all the key First Nations. We have great support from the government. And I say this, I used to say, you know, you know we've got great support from the Yukon government. The thing that I can say now is they finally put their money where their mouth is. They have applied to the federal government for a $200 million infrastructure package. $130 million of that infrastructure package will directly benefit the casino project. Essentially, it builds a road into the site. So that isn't a vote of confidence from the Yukon government. I don't know what is. Paul, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you today. I look forward to more updates in the near future. Thanks for joining me today on the program. All right. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Paul Wessels, President and CEO of Western Copper and Gold, trading as WRN on the New York Stock Exchange and WRN on the TSX. Who are the small companies with big opportunities? Find an assortment of potential investment opportunities. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. 
Join me now for a conversation with Tara Christie of Banyan Gold. Banyan Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BYN. Tara, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Ellis. If you wouldn't mind, give our audience an overview of the company. Banyan Gold is an early stage junior company. We have two primary projects, our Highland project, which is our flagship project. It has a 400,000 ounce, one gram gold equivalent resource, 70 kilometers from Watson Lake, road accessible. Very excited. We're going to get out there this year with about a $600,000 program program and really show people what we've been saying that this property really has multi-million ounce potential. Our newest acquisition, which is very exciting, are actually two projects which are adjacent to each other. So we've consolidated a land package which hasn't been consolidated since both properties were staked in the gold rush. So for the first time, we're able to put together a geological model across these two properties that were formerly held by numerous different operators and then most recently by Alexco Resources and Victoria Gold. These two properties are called the Oryx and the McQuest. They both have high potential for intrusion-related gold deposits, something probably very similar to what the Eagle Deposit of Victoria is. It's also road accessible. The main highway goes right through it, power line goes right through it, and we've got permits, and we're going to be starting work there immediately. We signed the agreements with Victoria and Alexico, the definitive agreements, last week. We also have over $2 million in the bank. So for Banyan, which is a very low-cost explorer and low burn rate, we're able to get out and do a lot of exploration for that. We'll be doing an initial Phase 1 program on Oryx McQuest, of $450,000, starting with soil sampling, trenching, and even some drilling. How long do you think this program is going to take? When can we expect some kinds of results? Share some of your excitement about it with our audience. We're really excited about the Oryx McQuestion. We're going to be starting to drill out there on June 10th because it has a huge volume of historic data. We've got historic drill results, both RC and diamond drill holes, trenches, soil samples. So the reason we're able to get out there and drill is because we have a lot of existing information to give us targets. And the property is had numerous people working away at it. Nobody at various times, nobody really focused on putting together the whole story. But because there's historic information, we're able to get out there and actually target a a few prime areas on the property with our drilling. We expect to spend about a month there in our initial phase. Our data compilation on the entire property, and we have huge volumes of data that cover the property, will be ongoing through the whole summer. But then after we finish up at the Oryx McQuestion in that first phase, then we'll go out to Highland, and that's the ideal time to be operating on that project. We can do a lot with that budget out there because we're well positioned. We already have a camp out there. We already have a diamond drill, a bulldozer, an excavator. All we have to do is fly out there with our crews, get things fired up, and we can be drilling in a matter of days out there. We were able to tee up our program last year through a small amount of drilling that we did, as well as uh, we flew a LIDAR survey to do some structural analysis. And then we spent a good part of the winter compiling our database and really spending some time working on the existing information for Highland. So we're quite excited about our targets out there as well. So you more or less have an idea of what you have because of the historical data, but you're required basically by law to provide an updated resource that you can talk about. Is that essentially correct? We will be required to provide an updated resources out on Highland. We don't have enough information now, but you know we're going to step out at some of those targets that we've identified through good old-fashioned structural analysis and geology and prove up that there is potentially a resource there. Interesting. I'm always fascinated by historical data because you're really not allowed to use it, but it gets everybody excited. Well, on the Oryx McQuestion, where we have a lot of historical data, it's definitely guiding our work. And we do have to get out there and develop a resource. And of course, there's a lot of historic data to guide us, but of course, we can't use it. So that's going to take a bit of time on that property. But I think that when people start to see the story that we're putting together in the geological model, they'll also be excited. So once you define the resource further, what's the plan going forward from that point, if you get the data you're hoping for? On the two different properties, 
properties. There are different stages. We've already got the resource out on Highland, and we're looking to increase that resource up to a level which will generate some interest. Highland's really exciting because it has 18 kilometers of structural trend, and the existing resource is all located at one location. We're trying to step out there and show that this property has multi-million ounce potential, that there are additional areas along that 18 kilometers of trend where there could be additional near-surface oxide heap leachable resources. And so we've identified three target areas right now that we're going to drill and focus on where there isn't an existing resource and step out with our drilling and geology to show that there is the potential for resource there. So Victoria Gold and Alexco are shareholders of your company and Victoria Gold is slated to be the biggest gold producer in the area. Could ultimately you be your producer as well considering your affiliation with the company? We absolutely could. Our team has all the skills to take this project from early exploration through permitting and then linkages to potential development. Really, the value will come through the discovery and increasing that resource. So there's lots of options. There's so much excitement about the Yukon, about what's going to happen as projects move along the chain. I don't have a crystal ball to tell you exactly what's going to happen, but I do know that we're going to generate value for our shareholders. Well, we've seen four or five of the majors in there, haven't we? We have. Numerous majors have taken up to 19.9% stakes in quite a few of the juniors that surround us. That's not something we're pursuing right now because we think the greatest value for our shareholders is to get out and spend some money on our project and advance them so that the market can see what valuable projects we have. How are you capitalized to be able to do that during the coming years? Well, we have 2.1 million in the bank right now and no debt. We have a very low burn rate, so a very high percentage of our dollars go into the ground. That's what our shareholders gave it to us for. So that's what we plan to spend it on. We also have 1.1 million in in the money warrants right now, which we can accelerate and we do expect that that money might come in in the future, which would give us some additional exploration dollars. Currently, we have 65 million shares outstanding fully diluted 79, just over 79 million. So we're in a fairly good position. Our share price has been 13, 14 cents in recent days. So potentially it's a very nice opportunity. Well, I think so. I came on as a CEO about seven months ago and I picked Banyan because I really like the Highland asset. I like the opportunity that it has and I feel that, you know, we're going into a strong gold market. There's lots of interest in the Yukon. With our most recent acquisition of the Oryx and the McQuestion projects, along with the strategic investments of Alexco, and Victoria, who are now 5 and 6% shareholders, it really does position us well to advance that. On our new Oryx McQuestion property too, another really interesting feature is the deal that we made with them. Both Alexco and Victoria took quite a lot of time to convince them to option these properties to us, but Banyan now has the opportunity to joint venture with one or both of them at 51% and 75%, but we also can earn 100%. So, you know, we have lots of optionality preserved for Banyan, as well as opportunity to move forward with 100% of both projects on this consolidated land package. Interesting, because I was wondering why Alexco and Victoria would give up those properties. Well, if you look at the historic data, most of the mineralization is right along the property boundary. Both Alexco and Victoria have very large land packages and are very focused on exploration. One, Alexco is more interested in silver exploration, and Victoria is more interested in gold. But they have a very large land package immediately adjacent to where their mine is, and significant targets there. You probably noticed Victoria is spending $6.2 million in exploration on their own land land package for either of those two companies to really get around to doing meaningful exploration on Oryx would be numerous years. And the best prospect for the property to advance was for somebody to put the two together. So that's where Banyan brings the value to both companies as we were able to negotiate with Alexco because of our longstanding good relationships with them, as well as Victoria to put it all together. Let's talk about the management team. You have a long history and your family does in the Yukon. Yes, I've been in the um, mining business all my life. My father's a PhD geologist and I grew up out collecting soil samples as soon 
soon as I was able to carry a pack sack. But we also spent a considerable amount of time in private gold production, alluvial gold production in the Klondike, and we're very successful at that, as well as private exploration business. And we were able to vend some of our private claims last year. And between that and wrapping up some of my other projects is actually what made me be able to have the time to take on Banyan. Alluvial gold claims are fun, especially if you know what you're doing. Yes, they can be very fun. There's a lot of people that mine at a very small scale and do it as a hobby. We were a, a very commercial operation and certainly large scale. So yeah, it can be very successful. Who is involved in your shareholder base overall? Well, our shareholder base is pretty tightly held. We have 25% held by insiders, which is primarily management. Then we have two corporates, Part of our last acquisition, both Victoria Gold and Alexco are 6 and 5% shareholders, respectively. And then in the rest of our shareholder base, we do know who the majority of those shareholders are, and largely mining people and people who know the business. Well, we encourage all of our listeners to learn more about Banyan Gold by going to banyangold.com. That's B-A-N-Y-A-N gold.com. And certainly do thank you, Tara Christie, for joining us today on the program. Thank you. I've been speaking with Tara Christie of Banyan Gold. Banyan Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BYN. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.